remain standing for the reading of God's Word. This morning it's from Ephesians chapter 1. I just couldn't get out of Ephesians. So we're looking at Ephesians chapter 1 in your pew Bibles, page number 976. And the children are at this point free to be dismissed for the children's Bible lesson with Miss Jana. For years I've wanted to preach a series like I'm decided actually to do this year, uh, which I explained earlier, so I won't repeat that. Um, But the passage upon which I wanted to preach, I looked at several that touch on the idea of Christian hope, and I just landed here on Ephesians chapter 1. So I said last week that it was the end of our series in Ephesians, and it is the end of that series, but here we are back in Ephesians again this week, Ephesians chapter 1. Looking at verses 11 through the first half of of 19, so 19a. And again, as we've been singing, as it was mentioned at the beginning of the service and the announcements, today's focus is on hope. Beginning in verse 11, Ephesians chapter 1. In him we were also chosen, having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will. In order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of His glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all God's people, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you the riches of His glorious inheritance in His holy people and His incomparably great power for those who believe. This is God's Word. Thanks be to God. Lord, would You please open our eyes and enable us to behold wonderful things from this Your Word. Through Jesus we pray. Amen. You may be seated. P.D. James wrote a novel called Children of Men. It was made into a movie. I've not actually read the novel or seen the movie, so I'm not recommending them necessarily, but I've learned a little bit about them in my research this week. It's a typical dystopian work where, you know, the world is coming to an end. Everything's falling apart. Uh, And in particular, um, what is bringing it about in this particular novel is everyone is infertile. And so no babies are being born. And so what happens is it's a novel about what man does when he has no hope of a future. When he's just completely um, hopeless in a sense. And of course what happens, of course, um, tyrants take over and and run the government. Um, People treat others just with absolutely no dignity, no respect. They then dote on their animals. That's, that's, that's the only thing that they really have. They, they dote on their animals. They push them in baby strollers, which I've actually seen in the United States of America. But they would even baptize them. 
in this particular work. So again, it's typical end of the world stuff. And what it shows us is what becomes of man when he's hopeless. And what becomes of man is lawlessness and anarchy. You saw a little bit of that even here recently uh, with this shooter, uh, an employee who, uh, who shot up some of his fellow employees at a Walmart. I think it was up in Virginia, maybe, if I remember correctly. The shooter, um, apparently the thing that, that really tipped him, put him over the edge, was he had his phone hacked or someone got into his phone somehow and, and learned a, a lot of embarrassing things about him were exposed. And in his, in his um, suicide note kind of thing, he, he, he noted that and how he was never going to be able to recover from it. He was, in a sense, hopeless. And that's what hopelessness does, whether it's novel like Children of Men or, or what we saw with the Walmart shooter. Hopelessness leads people to do crazy things. Hope is crucial for us. Hope is essential even. Hope gives us reasons to live. And hope guides the way that we live. So let me dive in trying to answer four questions. First of all, this morning, what is hope? Now when we say today in in typical just modern parlance, I hope so, that's not at all what the Bible is talking about when it refers to hope. You know, we're usually just wishing something were to be so. You know, I hope we'll have a white Christmas this year. Well, that's truly wishful thinking if you live in Birmingham, Alabama. It is very unlikely that we're going to have a white Christmas in Birmingham. Of course, we're at that time of year where people ask children what it is that they hope to get for the Christmas. And what do we refer to it as? A wish list. Hope and wish in modern usage are used interchangeably. There's really no difference between that which we hope for and that uh, for which we wish. But in the Bible, it's very different. In the Bible, it's an expectation. It's something that you are sure is going to happen. Something you know is going to happen. It just hasn't happened yet. My, my definition that I wrote down, this is um, nothing fancy, but simply this. Hope is being sure about a future state or a future action. It's just being confident. It's being certain of something that's going to happen. Of course, I mentioned it here. We see it in verses 12 and 18. In order that we who were the first to put our hope in Christ might be for the praise of His glory. And then in verse 18, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which He has called you. Again, that's what biblical hope is. It's an expectation. It's something that you're certain is going to happen. You know is going to happen. It just hasn't happened yet. Think about maybe if a child were to be asked what he wants for Christmas. And he, he tells his parents that he, he wants a bicycle for Christmas. And so a couple of weeks before Christmas, um, mom comes in and, and says, now you need to go to your room for just a minute. And you know, it's Christmas season. Don't ask questions. Just go to your room and hang out there for a few minutes. And so the child dutifully does. But then also he happens to find himself looking out the window to see his dad bringing a, uh, a bicycle into the garage. Later he looks over and, and goes into the garage and sees something that is maybe shaped like a bicycle, which of course he's already seen by looking out the window, and it's covered with a, with a blanket or a sheet or something like that. 
he knows he's getting a bicycle for Christmas. It's what he asked for. He saw it brought in. He sees it right over there in the corner. If you were to ask him, were to ask him what he's hoping to get for Christmas, he'd say, well, I'm hoping for a new bicycle. And if you were to push on it, well, do you think you'll get one? I mean, his honest answer would be, I know I'm getting one. <laughs> That's biblical hope. It's being sure, certain, 100% sure about what is coming our way. You'll receive something. You're, you're certain of it. You know you will. It hasn't happened yet, but you know it's going to happen. That's biblical hope. It's not typical modern hope where we just say, well, I, it probably isn't going to happen. I hope it will. You know, it's just a wish. Not at all. Biblical hope is certainty, a certain expectation. Second, in what do we hope? What are we hoping for? Well, we hope, first of all, to be God's inheritance. Again, it's not a wish that we'll be God's inheritance. No, we expect, we know that we will be God's inheritance, which was what we see here in verses 13 to 14. When you believed, you were marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Usually when we think of an inheritance, we think of what we're going to receive. But in this case, the inheritance is what God receives. And what does God receive? You. <laughs> Me. He receives us. We are His inheritance. And the other word that's used here is possession. Again, verse 14, the, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession. Both of, the, both of those words describe you and me. Inheritance. Possession. You know, an inheritance in a sense is, is kind of the bulk of, of the wealth that, that comes there. Um, a possession, though, is something different. A possession means something that you just you treasure. It may not really be actually worth very much money, or it might be worth a ton. We had some conversation even this week um, at, at my home over Thanksgiving, and, and, and my daughter Reagan was talking about this one portrait of my mom's grandmother that she really uh, wanted to have someday. It's not necessarily worth a ton of money, but it's a treasured possession. It's something that's highly valued in the home. You might own a piece of artwork, artwork that's worth $100 million. And somebody comes along and offers you $200 million and you say, no. $300 million, no. Up to a billion, no. It's priceless. It's a treasured possession. It, 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 it's beyond valuable. It's invaluable. Wouldn't, something you wouldn't part with for any price. Do you realize what's being said here in Ephesians 1 about you? That's the way God views you. And me. That's, where, that's the way God views His people. We are His treasure. We're, we're priceless. And if God values us like that now, on this side of the veil, on this side of heaven, what will we, when, what will we finally do when we meet Him face to face? What will that be like? That's what we're in for. That's what awaits us. So we hope for... We hope to be God's inheritance. And then second, we hope for a renewed world. Again, not just a wish for a renewed physical world, but we hope, we, we know it's going to happen. 
Again, verse 14, 13 talks about the promised Holy Spirit in 14, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. Of course, the deposit, we know what that means. It's, it's like a down payment. What then is coming? Redemption. To which you might say, if you know your theology, well, wait a second. I'm already redeemed. I've already experienced redemption. Well, yes, to an extent. But as Christians, we live, in a sense, some theologians refer to it as the already and the, the not yet. We've been redeemed, and yet we are still to be redeemed. We've been saved, but we are yet still to be saved. So there, we live in this, in this state where, again, things have happened. They're already, but they're not yet happened. And so we're already redeemed, yes, but not totally not physically, and the whole world has not yet been redeemed, which Romans, Romans chapter 8 talks about this. The final redemption that awaits us, it says in verse 22, we know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit, grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope, in this hope, we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. In other words, if you've already seen it, then it's not something you still expect to happen in the future. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. So there's this personal inheritance sort of aspect of um, what we hope for. And then there is this corporate, worldwide, physical renewal where all nature longs for this, hopes for this, where there will be no more death, no more destruction, no more sin, no more pain, no more changes, no, no more goodbyes. That's the renewed world for which we wait and hope. In the 96th Psalm, we read these words about this idea. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Yes, the world is established. It shall never be moved. He will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all that fills it. Let the field exult and everything in it. Then shall all the trees of the forest sing for joy before the Lord. For He comes for he comes to judge the earth. He will judge the world in righteousness and the peoples in his faithfulness. The trees will be singing. You know, I know, I know some of you don't really enjoy singing. Some of you, it's because you just can't carry a tune in a bucket. We understand. Others, you're, you know, you're, they're, you're inhibited, reserved for some reason or another. But someday, if the trees will be singing, what about you? What about me? Singing with, with loudness and gusto like never before. No inhibitions. No reservations. Exulting, rejoicing in God. This is the hope that awaits us as we wait for this totally renewed earth. As well as the hope that is where we are God's inheritance. Third, from where does this hope come? Where does this hope come from? 
How is it produced in us is essentially what I'm asking. Well, one place it's produced where it comes from is God's promises, the Bible, God's word. Particularly the promises that God gives that we learn about from from the scripture. Think of the very first one, Genesis chapter three. In verse 15, what we refer to as the first gospel, the first piece of good news following the fall of man. It's the promise of a coming redeemer who would crush the head of the serpent. And what do we, what do we, um, what are we saying when we sing, "O little town of Bethlehem"? We sang one of the verses here this morning. The hopes and fears of all the years are met in Thee tonight. The hope of all the years was finally met in Christ. Referencing back all the way back to Genesis chapter three, finally realized on Christmas night. If God has kept His oldest promise then surely he'll keep all of his promises. And so hope comes from God's word, his promises in particular, and then secondly, it comes from his character. What God has done. Not only does God make promises, he fulfills them. He gave his own son to pay the penalty for our sin. And since that's the case, we can be sure that God will withhold nothing from us. As it says in Romans 8, 32, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give, graciously give us a few more things? No, it doesn't say that. It says, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? You think about going on. I, I hear I haven't been on one yet, but I hear there are these all expenses paid cruises. So you just pay one lump sum, and and it takes care of all your food, everything. You just you know if you're at the pool on the top deck of the of the cruise line or whatever, and you just walk over, I guess, to the tiki hut or the concession stand or whatever it is, the little bar, and you ask for a drink or you ask for a Snickers, and you get it. You don't have to sign anything. You don't have to pull out money. It's, it's all expensive. It, you get it all. What God has done for us is He's provided all things for us. And so we, we get this hope from thinking about His character, what He's done. And I know personally one of the things that encourages me most on a regular basis is seeing my answered prayer list. And if you don't keep some sort of record of the things you're praying for and and then write down or transfer it if you're using an app, which is what I do, um, transfer it to the to the answered prayer list. If you're not doing that, you're really missing out. You're missing an opportunity to see your hope built, your assurance built, your certainty strengthened. God's character, how He answers prayer, God's Word, what He's promised. That's where our hope comes from. And finally... Why is hope so important? It's, first of all, it's so important because hope changes the way we live in the here and now. It changes the way we live our lives. What we hope for leads to actions that we take by faith. Which is what we learn from Hebrews chapter 11. We read in Hebrews chapter 11, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for. 
the conviction of things not seen. For by it the people of old received their commendation. So Hebrews 11, it teaches us how godly people of the Old Testament responded, lived, acted in light of their hope. Hope is living now in a way that's completely changed because of what you will know will happen in the future. Think about, I, I think I've used this illustration before. Um, think about maybe a couple of people who were put in, who were given a job and put in two rooms. Same size room, same job, same temperature, same humility, uh, humidity, um, same job, everything. And they're both to be in there eight hours a day doing this job. And, and it's, it's a very simple, monotonous job. You know, screw part A into part B. Eight hours a day, do that. And you tell them that at the end of the year, uh, you tell one of them that he's going to receive for his efforts that year $10,000. And you tell the other one that at the end of that year, he's going to receive $10 million. The one who's going to receive the $10,000 is very likely going to be talking to the other one after work or during bathroom breaks. Can you believe how monotonous and boring and tedious and terrible this job is? I mean, this is, this is awful. To which the guy who's going to get a million dollars is going to say, well, I don't think it's so bad. <laughs> it, it changes everything. It changes the way you think about what you're doing. Your hope. We all act now in light of what we believe about the future. That's the way we all live now. Christians who hope in God, they, they, don't, they don't freak out when bad things happen now. We're able to be patient with people. We're, we're able to be gracious in situations. Christian hope takes our eyes off of this world and what we have or don't have. Christian, eyes, Christian hope takes our eyes off of this world and, and people who may be trying to take advantage of us. You know, if you reject the idea of God and this idea of an afterlife, and in other words, you have no hope about the future, you, you believe that at the end there's only death. Death just follows the end of life. Then you will go live however you want, just indulging every desire. Because you won't have any accountability. You'll have no hope of a glorious eternal future. And if that's the case, well, then why not just eat, drink, and be married for tomorrow we die? And so you just commit the sins of gluttony and drunkenness every day. Why be involved in any efforts to improve society? Why care about your fellow man? I mean, he, he's no different from a June bug or a grain of sand. If you have no hope of a justice that will be implemented in the future, then you'll be controlling and difficult now, just seeking to make things just and the way you want them and think they should be here and here now, just trying to control everything besides being no fun to be around. Hope changes everything. And second, why it's so important, hope is central to who we are. We're hope-based people. Expectations about the future, they're at the core of our being. And so, therefore, we have to make sure we have the right hopes, the right expectations, I mean, think about the things that, in which we typically hope. I mean, just a couple of things. 
we hope or expect for our love to be reciprocated. And when it's not, we lash out. Bad things happen. Sometimes people get violent. Or maybe, we, maybe it's not love, but just flattering words. We expect our flattering words to be reciprocated. And so when, no, when someone doesn't do that, then, then there's depression on our end. Or maybe we tried to destroy the one we flattered earlier with our words. We, as Christians, oftentimes hope. We have the wrong hope in the sense that we, we hope to be accepted by a watching world, lost world. But in doing so, we forget about the, the exile nature, pilgrim nature of our lives as Christians. Expectations, hopes are central to how we live our lives. And so we have to have the right hopes and the right expectations. Last quick thought. There's a reason hope is central to who we are. I mean, certainly, in one sense, a sort of reference is here, but it's because we're made in the image of God. As it says in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, we have eternity set in our hearts. But also we have hope because of Jesus. Again in Ephesians chapter 2, we read in verse 11, Remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, that's all of us unless you're Jewish, we were separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. We who were without hope and without God in the world have been brought near, have been brought near by the blood of Christ because He for a time went without God at the cross so that we could be brought near to God. Remember Jesus' words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So Jesus was excluded so that we could be included. He was made a stranger so that we could be made part of the family. He went without so that we might be brought near to God. Christian hope, it changes everything. It exists because of the work of Jesus. And I pray that we would all be characterized as hopeful Christians, especially during this Advent season. Let us pray. Lord, it is indeed a glorious thing to be hopeful and to have the hope that we have because of Your Word the promises that You've given us from Your Word and, and then seeing Your character, how You have been faithful. And then You give us the Spirit who just stamps, seals all of it in our souls. And so we today, O oh Lord, are hopeful. But I pray that it would be stirred up more and more during this Advent season. Lord, may we as Christians be the most hopeful and joyous and loving and peaceful People to walk the face of the earth. It should be that way, O oh God. And it is. And it will be that way when we fix our hope on Christ. In whose name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing as a hymn of response. Number 219. All praise to Thee, Eternal Lord.
And now may the God of peace himself sanctify you wholly, and may your spirit and soul and body be kept sound and blameless at the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you. Amen. this time today to stimulate your thinking. I'd love a chance to get to know you a little bit better and have some conversation. Please feel free to reach out to me in whatever way is comfortable for you. You can come by the office or I'll buy you lunch or just a cup of coffee. Of course, you can always come by on Sunday mornings and we can meet face to face. Our new service time is 9.30 a.m.